All right, praise the Lord. Good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. All right. Now I want you to try to picture this. This is the end, um, at the end of the seven-year tribulation. In fact, this is uh, the end part eight. Uh, it's uh, titled Two Kinds of Resurrection. So something you really need to understand that is not um, preached really often or taught really often is the two different resurrections. There's two different kinds and uh, you need to know the difference between the two because uh, maybe there's not a more important thing in the Bible to understand than the two different resurrections, kinds of resurrections. Um, so in Revelation 20, verse 4, this is toward the end of the seven-year tribulation. So there's going to come a period of seven years that's going to come upon the earth. And that's the last seven years of this period of time that we live in. And then a different age will be ushered in at the coming of Christ at the end of the seven-year period. And so this is where we're at here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. It says, and I saw, I want you to picture what he's seeing here. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Also, I saw souls of those who had been beheaded on account of the testimony of Jesus and on account of the word of God, even those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And now the rest, this is a parenthesis, now the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were finished. So you have one group that's before the thousand years, that's the first resurrection, and then after the thousand years are completed, there's another resurrection. And the difference between these two resurrections is extreme. Because the Bible follows that with, this is the first resurrection, meaning the resurrection that occurs before the thousand years. And verse 6 is what I want you to pay attention to. It says, blessed or happy and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Upon such, meaning those who are part of the first resurrection, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So it's saying you're happy and holy and in great shape if you're part of the first resurrection because they can't be touched by the second death. The, the, in fact, it says the uh, second death has no power over them. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and uh, Lord, I ask that you would uh, give understanding to your word. Lord, your word is here to prepare us. Your word is here to um, give us insight, Lord, on how to live every day, day by day, and to live pleasing to you, Lord. Um, It's here to make sure that we have peace, and uh, we don't fear the future, Lord God, but we know exactly what's going to happen, Lord God, and uh, that's why we're blessed, that's why we're happy because we know exactly what's happening in the world around us, Lord. And uh, grant that to your people, Lord, that we would understand the text today. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, 
Amen. Hallelujah. So very important to understand these two resurrections because the first resurrection, try to get this down. I'm going to make this, I'm going to oversimplify this teaching because there's a lot of um, details that I could go into, but it would take me like weeks to do it. But very simply, the first resurrection is before the thousand years and it officially is completed at the end of the seven years. But there are multiple um, gatherings or harvestings or gleanings of that resurrection. So there's three specific times that God is gathering people in that first resurrection. All right, three specific that we know of. That's all called the first resurrection. That's believers. All right, that's those who are saved, those who are believers, those who are blessed. Then after the thousand years, there's another resurrection, but that's the resurrection of the wicked. That's the resurrection of those who are not saved. And so we need to understand that by knowing that, we, we need to understand we're all eternal creatures. How many know that? There is no dying and ceasing to exist. The Bible is very clear that after a thousand years, there is a resurrection of the dead and there's also a resurrection of the living. So anybody that has taught you that we're annihilated or that we cease to exist, we were created in the image of God, which means that we are eternal. And so after a thousand years, the wicked are still there in a certain place being held and reserved for judgment. And so they will be resurrected just like uh, the righteous. And so all will be resurrected, but will it will be in one or the other. And we need to make sure that we're in that first one. Because we do not want to be in the second one. And so I'm going to give very clear details on both of these so that we're very well instructed in what's going to happen, okay? Um, so as we go into it, um, let's first start off with Daniel uh, chapter 12, verse 2. And uh, one thing you need to understand is this is a doctrine that they believed from the very beginning. They understood that there was there were two resurrections. And so in Daniel, he says this. He said, there are multitudes who are asleep in the dust of the earth. They will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. How many understand Daniel is referring there, very ancient scripture there. He's referring to those who sleep in the dust and both are going to be resurrected, okay? Uh, let me give you some old um, scriptures from some of the, you know, ancient scriptures in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Daniel, one of my favorites is um, David. David says... He said, I keep, this is Psalm 16, 8. He says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. How many think that's a good idea? He says, with him at my right hand, my tongue and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure. How many know David is talking about his death? How his life is going to be after death. He says, my body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, 
nor will you let your faithful one see decay. How many know David knows that there is a place he's going after death and his hope is completely in the fact that the Lord is not going to allow him to decay. God is going to actually bodily resurrect him and he's going to be with the Lord when his Redeemer finally comes to the earth who is Jesus Christ. He knew that that event was going to happen in the future. Let me go a little further back. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, if not the oldest written book in the Bible. He probably lived around the time of Abraham. Listen to what Job says. He said, and this is Job 19.25. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, now what's our series on? The end, right? In the end, he will stand on the earth. So at the end, where's his Redeemer going to be? Standing on the earth. And he says, after my skin has been destroyed, yet, now listen, his skin has been destroyed in death. Yet, in my flesh, I will see God. So after I die and my flesh is destroyed, in his flesh, God is going to resurrect that body and he's going to see his God who's on the earth. And he says, I myself will see him. He's clarifying it again to make sure you don't think he misspoke. He says, I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. That's Job. Way, way back, Job is talking about the bodily resurrection. And as you move on, you see the teachings of Jesus. And as we look at the teachings of Jesus, he says um, in Luke 14, 12, Jesus is uh, speaking a parable about those who are invited to the banquet table of the Lord, and he's giving examples of parables. And he says in Luke 14, 12, he says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, listen to this, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So do you see he's clarifying the resurrection of the righteous as opposed to the resurrection of the unrighteous? You'll be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous, right? Then he says in John 5, 24, listen to this very carefully, you'll miss it. Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death into life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead, listen to this, the dead will hear his voice of the son of God, hear the voice of the son of God And those who hear his voice will live. He goes on and he says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not be amazed at this. Listen very carefully. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves, you hear that? All who are in their graves, okay, will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Do you hear that? By myself I can do nothing. I judge only what I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who has sent me. Do you hear there that Jesus is talking about two different resurrections? One for the condemned and one for those who are righteous. And so we've got to figure out some more details of it. Listen to uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.20. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul is speaking to people in the church that were trying to teach that Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead. They were trying to say, well, God can't die. That's ridiculous. Uh, there's no way that Jesus died. It was some kind of a um, ghost that died and appeared to be dead and then was resurrected. And Paul said, no, he was actually dead. And he was actually resurrected, and this is very important. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, this is, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. It says, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, if he wasn't raised from the dead, right? For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But then also those who have fallen asleep are lost. So all those people who are waiting for Christ to die and be raised from the dead like Job and like David and all these people who have waited for him to be raised from the dead, it says they're lost. And your faith is futile if Christ didn't die and was raised from the dead, right? And it says, and if Christ, I'm sorry, uh, verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who are fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of death came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. But each in turn, Christ, each in turn also means in order. There's a certain order that God's going to raise everybody, right? It says, Christ the first fruits then when he comes... Those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. So the resurrection of the dead, um, everybody's going to be raised, but I'm going to start with the first resurrection, the one you want to be a part of, okay? There's a resurrection that 
Um, the Bible says you're blessed and you need to be a part of the first one. And so we know of three different places for sure where that resurrection occurs and it's all called the first resurrection. The first time we see it is what's called the first fruits. In fact, it corresponded exactly with a feast that God had the Israelites uh, partake in every year. It's called the Feast of First Fruits. And the First Fruits Feast, um, get it down to its most basic meaning is, we're going to bring our first fruits of our harvest into the temple, and we're going to wave them before God, and we're going to acknowledge that the first fruit was excellent, and we're expecting a lot more. Okay? And so the first fruit... There's a reason why Jesus came alive from the dead on the exact day that they celebrated first fruits. It is because it's the first fruits of the bodily resurrection of believers. It's the first stage, if you will, of the resurrection that we want to be a part of. And so Jesus kind of put a down payment there. He wanted the world to witness people being raised from the dead. So the Bible says that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it made such a scene because graves were literally popping open and ministering spirits were walking through the streets, the Bible says. And how many know that there were a large number of people that were bodily resurrected when Jesus rose from the dead and it was witnessed by over 500 people, Jesus being resurrected from the dead. It's one of the greatest facts of history that Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and was raised from the dead. How many know that? And so that was stage one. Stage two, we we studied several times over the last year. The Bible says, in fact, let me read it here. I'm straying away from my notes. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And how many know this? As we who are alive on this earth, we're going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How many know that's the second stage? The dead in Christ, all those who have died, Believing in the Messiah, believing in Christ. How many know, and you say, well, where are they at now? The Bible says absent from the body is present with Christ. But you know, resurrection is in the New Testament 40 times. And and, and almost all 40 times, except I think one reference, it refers to bodily resurrection. So what's going to happen is, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that when we see him... We're going to be like him. And our bodies are going to be reunited with our spirits at that moment. And we're going to walk in a glorified body just like Jesus did. And so how many know those who are present with Christ are going to be reunited and it's going to be a bodily resurrection in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and all those who are dead in Christ and all those who are on the earth are going to have a glorified body in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And it says that is the second stage of bodily resurrection. So you had the initial first fruits. You had the second stage, which is Thessalonians, uh, right before the tribulation starts. And then the third stage is what's called the gleanings, or the last very bits. Of, if you have a crop, you have the first fruits. And then you do the heavy harvest and you get everything. 
And then you have what's called the gleanings, where anything you can possibly find that's still good, how many know you're going back and you're finding the last of it? And you're taking everything that's possibly good in that field and you're, you're gleaning it. And so the last gleaning is what we're reading this morning in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. There are people that come to the Lord during the tribulation and they're the last of that harvest. And so he's saying, hey, at this moment, now I see all of these tribulation saints, and now they've been resurrected. And they're going to rule and reign with us for a thousand years. So it includes them with us to rule and reign for a thousand years. And so there are thrones there, many thrones. In fact, the Bible talks about the 24 elders. He tells the disciples, you're going to rule on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel with me. And so God fulfills all of the um, um, the mandates for um, ruling and reigning with Christ. We come with him to rule and reign. There's a thousand year millennial reign. Christ reigns on the earth. Um, and so this is the beginning of that thousand year reign. We're going to go into that in future weeks, uh, what that thousand year reign is. But this is the resurrection of the righteous. And so by the end of the seven year period, how many know... Everybody uh, that can possibly be saved in the history of this world have been gleaned. By the end of the seven-year period, God has already gathered everything that is going to be fruit of that harvest. And so the Bible says, now we go into the other one. And so in Revelation, as you go down a little bit further, um, God begins to... Um, Define what the other one is like. How many want to be a part of that first one? I mean, the, the, before I go into the other one, it gets dark on the other one. But you want to be a part of the first resurrection. And what's amazing about the first resurrection is everybody who's gathered in that harvest, just to make it very simple, they all will have to stand before Christ. And it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And you say, oh, no, man, I don't want to answer to Christ. But you got to understand, before you go to the judgment seat of Christ, what has happened to you? The tribulation is about to start. There's been a rapture of the church, changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We've been changed. We've been given a glorified body that 1 Corinthians 15 says is just like him. It says, we see him eye to eye and we're like him. Would you rather stand before Christ in your current body with your current actions and your current deeds? Or would you rather stand before the judgment seat of Christ in a glorified body that looks like Christ? When he gives a, when he gives a parable of the wedding banquet and he says you weren't properly dressed, what he's saying is you don't have a glorified body. So the one group is going to stand before him and going to look like Christ. The other group is going to stand before him and they're going to be godless. They'll have no God. They'll have no glorified body. That's the promise of Christ. That's why the resurrection is so important because we've been promised to be changed. And if you're not changed and you don't have a different garment and you don't have a glorified body, good luck standing before the throne of Christ. But here's what, listen to another quote of David, one of my favorites. This is where my hope is at. I love this scripture. Psalm 32, David says, Blessed is the one 
whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. I got to stop there. You, You act like you hear that every day. So blessed or happy is the one whose sin is not counted against him? You mean there is a ability for my sins not to be accounted against me? But let me tell you the alternative of that promise. Unhappy is the person whose sins are counted against them. You don't want to walk in front of the throne of God and have your sins counted against you. Blessed is, let me read again, blessed is the man, the one whose transgressions are, transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one who the Lord does not count, whose sin the Lord doesn't account against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long for day and night, my hand, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer, though I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you will forgive me the guilt of my sin." And so here's the thing, if you trust in Christ, before you go to the judgment seat of Christ, you have a new body, it'll be glorified, your sins won't be held against you, you'll stand in the judgment seat of Christ is what all believers go to. It is a reward only judgment. You're rewarded for everything good you did, but you're not, your sins aren't held against you. I mean, no, that's why Christ died, to have that benefit. And there are going to be other people, they will never go to the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema judgment seat of Christ is only for believers and only at the end of that seven-year period. Somewhere in that seven-year period, God is going to resurrect all believers and they'll stand before the reward seat of Christ. Okay, so when does the other one happen? If you go to Revelation just a little bit further down in chapter 20, you go down to verse um, 14, I believe it is. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were open, another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in the sea. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you remember that that first resurrection, it says... They're not affected by the second death. They have no part in the second death. So they'll never stand before the great white throne. And you also remember the Bible says that uh, the other ones were not resurrected until the end of the thousand years. So this judgment actually occurs a thousand years after the other resurrection. So after a thousand years, God is going to awake everybody. You say, well, man, Hitler really got away with a lot of things. Hitler is going to be resurrected and awakened. And it says that every knee 
will bow and every tongue will confess. You know what that tells me? They have a bodily resurrection. They will literally stand in an unglorified body with all of their sins present. And they'll have to give an answer for everything they did. And they'll fear God so much. Everything flees away from His presence. He's so fearful. And it says that their knee will bow. Their tongue will confess. There will be people begging Christ uh, not to bring judgment on them. But, but, but do you understand? They've been for a thousand years somewhere. They've been a thousand years somewhere. What has the quality of life been for that thousand years? In fact, the Bible says that Satan at the end of the tribulation that's going to come on this earth very soon, I believe. Satan is bound with a chain and so is the false prophet. All these characters in the seven year tribulation that are trying to control the world and come against God and they're going to be bound up and it says they're going to be cast into uh, a thousand years. They're going to be cast into um, this holding area. And after a thousand years, God um, will take certain actions with them. So they're still alive. And guess where all the other people are at during that period of time that aren't saved? For a thousand years, they're in a place. In fact, uh, let me give you the only real good definition. How many, how many think that there's been very many men that have been to this place that can give a definition of it? How many think there's been a lot of people that have been able to go to hell and give a definition of what it's like or, or Hades or, you know, any of those things. Jesus is the only one. Uh, in fact, he's, he's Lord over everything. How many know that? He knows exactly what's happening in hell. He knows exactly what's happening in heaven. Uh, he's the Lord of all, the Bible says. And so Jesus gives us a definition of what the quality of life is during the thousand years waiting for the judgment. It says in Luke uh, 16, 19, it says, there was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate, do you see this beautiful estate? The man dressed very nicely. It says, as his gate was a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked the poor man's sores. Do you see the picture here? The time came when the beggar died And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And it says in Hades where he was in torment. And he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you're in agony. Besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place. So those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my family because I have five brothers. Let them warn them so that they may also not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead would go to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. 
So this very clearly gives you the condition of the holding cell. And at this time, it's before the resurrection of Christ. Let me explain what's going on here. Before the resurrection of Christ, um, Christ, when he died, how many know, he released all the captives that were by Abraham's side. Abraham, Job, David, all of these people trusted that a Redeemer was going to come one day and release them from this place where Abraham, uh, basically it's called Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. So in hell were two separate compartments. One was called Hades, where the wicked were, and the other was a place of paradise that basically Abraham was at. And everybody there was waiting for Christ to die. And when Christ died, how many know that Christ first, you say, well, he died and went to heaven. How many know that Christ died and descended into hell first? How many know that? Why? Because it's appointed to man to die and we were all condemned. How many know this from the Bible? We were all condemned to die. We're all sinners. But there was one person who lived, was a man, was fully man, was fully God, never sinned, and he had to go to hell just like us. Only difference is he's the only one that could get back out. And the Bible says that he went to hell, made a mockery of Satan, and released all of those who were waiting for, for their Messiah. And so that's why the first fruit is releasing all of those who were waiting and knew that they wouldn't die in hell. And so the Bible says he descended into hell, and when he resurrected, the first fruits came with him. He left captivity captive, meaning he left the place where they were being held captive. He left them empty, <laughs> okay? He emptied out that whole uh, group of people that were believing for a Redeemer. So before Christ, they believed in a Redeemer was going to come. Now our Redeemer has come, we, we look back and believe in the one who's already came. How many know that? It's a big difference. They were looking forward, we were looking back, right? And so um, Christ is giving the condition of what every human being that doesn't trust in Jesus Christ their Lord, the condition they're going to be in for a thousand years. How many know it's torment? It's a thousand years of torment. It's a thousand years away from God. This man is there, and if Jesus is a trustworthy witness, he's saying, that guy is saying, Please go back and tell my family about my condition here. What's that tell you about the condition? It means they remember their kids who are still alive. They remember their family members that are still alive. They remember everybody and they have no chance of changing their future. They have no hope. They're without God. But they remember everything that happened in this world. And they're awaiting a thousand years to stand before Christ in judgment. Now, what do you think their condition is going to be after a thousand years and have to stand before Christ? And the Bible says that soul is going to be awakened. They're going to be reunited with their body and they're going to stand before a great, great white throne and the books are going to be open. And that book is going to, how would you like to have books that are written about everything you've ever done in your life? And so they're going to open those books up and they're going to say, you remember what you did? It starts right here. You were, in that, you were in that store and you wanted that bubble gum. Stole that bubble gum. 
You know, then you mistreated this person, then you took advantage of this person, and then you didn't talk very nicely to these people, and then you... And how many know that everything that we've ever done is going to be held against us because we did not receive free salvation, free forgiveness, free grace, and you say, well, I'm just going to die and I'm going to avoid it. That option is not available. I'm telling you the truth of the Word of God. You're an eternal creature made in the image of God, And if you don't receive Christ free, I mean, he gave everything, the God of heaven, to make sure you are forgiven. And it's the ultimate sin in the world to say, I reject you, God. And this holding place is going to be full of all those people who rejected God. And for a thousand years, they're going to be more and more and more bitter, more and more vile. They're all going to stand before God. They're going to have no glorified body. They're going to have no forgiveness of sins. They're going to have no God. They're going to be godless. That's what godless means. There's only the godly and only the godless. There's no other kinds of people. You either have God or you don't. You've either received him or rejected him. There's no fence you can ride on in the middle. There's no warm. There's hot. There's cold. And, and for a thousand years, then they're going to be awakened. He says, I'm going to wake them out of the sea. Somebody says, well, somebody died at sea and they were lost forever. They weren't lost forever. The Bible says they're going to come out of the sea. They're going to come out of the ground. Daniel said uh, those who are in the ground are going to awake. Some to everlasting contempt, some to, to everlasting life. How many know this is going to happen? It's the truth of the Bible. And, I'm, and, 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 and we have to be ready to be in the first resurrection. We have to be ready because this is dreadful. Like I said, every wicked person is going to rise. The books will be opened. And he's going to say, here's all the things you did. And then he's going to open another book. It was made in the foundation of the world. And it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Because in the very beginning, God had a plan. And that plan was Christ. Christ is the predestined one. Um, He wanted us all to have salvation. And he says, uh, here, Adam, you've sinned. Let me sacrifice this lamb because I want to show you. I'm going to sacrifice this animal to show you that my son is going to die. That's my plan. He's going to die and he's going to, and he's going to save all who are condemned. And from the very beginning he had a plan and it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And the Bible says at that moment on the great white throne judgment, that book's going to be opened. He's going to open it up and if your name is not in that book, you're forever condemned. And so now Hades, where you've been at for a thousand years, and you've been tormented for a thousand years, it says death and hell are now going to be thrown into a bottomless pit. We don't even know where this thing's at. I mean, it could be a planet that just continues to go farther and farther away. We don't know what it is, but it's thrown. Death and hell is cast into this bottomless pit. And at that point, everybody finally got what they wanted. And what did they want? We want life without God. I don't want God. I reject God. I don't want his help. I don't want his plan. I don't want any of these things. And God says, okay. How many know that's the worst thing that God can say? Okay. And so there's going to come a day you say, well, what's God going to do about it? I'll shake my fist at him. I'll cuss at him. I'll do this. I'll do that. And God's going to say, okay. You're going to live a life without love because God is love. You're going to live a life without hope because God is hope. 
How many know there's going to come a day that God's just going to say, you finally get what you want? But you're eternal. You can't die. Do you know by the end of Revelation, they're even saying we want to die, but we can't. You know, and, and, and Jesus, if Jesus didn't preach it so strong, I mean, Jesus, nobody preached about hell more than Jesus because he'd been there. He knew what it was like. He's the only one that could give details. And he's saying there's weeping, there's gnashing of teeth. The fire will never go out. He says it'll never stop burning. It'll never stop being torment. And so this morning, there's not a more important message. It's are you a part of the first resurrection or will you be a part of the second resurrection? And so in the book of Revelation, we have a choice. God said that I place before you Death and life. Choose life, he said. Stand on your feet this morning. <clears throat> Worship team. How many think this is important to understand? Uh, there's a lot of things in life we think are important. We think uh, so many, probably a hundred things we, by the way we live our life, we'll put in front of this. But how many know there's nothing more important than choosing life? Choosing to have a God. Choosing to be obedient to that God. Choosing His plan for our life and not our own plan. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just have um, such love, Lord, for the people that are here today. And those who are listening online, Lord, that... uh, Lord, that's why we preach this word um, with everything that we have, Lord God. We put everything into it. Lord, we're willing to lose anything for this message. Uh, We're willing to um, accept insults, Lord, willing to accept slander, willing to accept hard times, persecution, all those things for this message, Lord. And this morning, I just pray that you would... um, Impress upon every heart the solemn nature of the decisions we make in life. That, Lord, today is the day of our salvation. There may not be tomorrow. And, Lord, I just pray right now that they would accept the good path, Lord. Lord, they would accept that uh, with the scripture that we read today. Blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection. And, Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord. Lord, I'm so thankful to have accepted your offer, your plan, your purposes, your hope, your love, your joy. I'm so hope, happy to have you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that those questions have been resolved with every person in this room, Lord, this morning. And if not, Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, that they would make it right today, Lord. And uh, Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Everybody said, amen. Church, I want to leave the altars open. I'm available after the service. I'm available for a phone call during the week. But if you're not right with the Lord, get it right. It's simple. It's uh, not easy, but it's simple. It's so simple, a fool need not make a mistake. We can all be right with the Lord. We can all live for the Lord and we can all be looking forward to eternity. There's nothing greater than that first day in the presence of the Lord. How many know the best day here is not close to the first day there? How many know that? 
And it'll only get better and better every day in eternity with the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to sing a worship song. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, we're up here for you. Altars are open, always open. And I'm always available to talk. Some of you might want to confidentially talk about it. And I'm always available for that. Very excited for that. All right. Praise the Lord. let me um, recap really quickly just to be as clear clear on the teaching as I can we tend to hear that everybody that dies goes to heaven every funeral you go to I'm just being as honest as I can be if you're not right with the Lord if you have not received salvation and he's not the Lord of your life The next step is we're dragged, our soul, our spirit is dragged into a holding cell called Hades. That has never been emptied out. It's every wicked person, meaning every person that just didn't receive Christ. In fact, the rich man in Jesus' story, what did he do wrong? He wasn't a murderer. He just didn't know Christ. And so immediately we're put in this holding cell. The wicked, those who don't know God, those who have no no God in their life, have rejected Him. They immediately go to a place of torment for a minimum of a thousand years. And then the judgment. If you're in Christ, Christ emptied out that compartment called paradise that was near Hades, actually, in hell. It's all very biblical. Every literal scholar of the Bible will tell you the same thing. He emptied that compartment out, and he says, now, if you're absent from your body, so where's your body? You're absent from it. When you're absent from your body, you're present with Christ, so what do you not have? Your body, right? But your soul, your spirit is with Christ. And then the bodily resurrection that's going to happen when that trumpet sounds guess what's going to happen immediately we're going to be reunited with our body it's going to be a glorified body for eternity it's not going to be able to sin sin problem is going to be solved at that point we won't struggle with sin anymore that's the greatest news for me of any but we'll immediately we'll be with Christ already it's like I don't want to leave God he's like hey let's go pick up your new body see what it looks like it can't sin, it has no sickness, won't cry, won't have any sadness, won't have any depression, all be healed, new body for eternity. But understand this too. The Bible says that if you die and don't have Christ, it says you'll be fitted with a new body as well. Paul says it's a body that is fitted for destruction. We don't know what that means. It's just designed for destruction. And so it's specially equipped as well. And so I would much rather be the one who closes my eyes and opens them in the presence of Christ 
and waiting for that glorious resurrection and that new body and then stand before Christ with a glorified body and then rule and reign with him forever. It says we'll never be apart from him again. And the other one is, God, I don't want you. And God says, okay. And that's the worst part of it. God says, okay. You didn't want me, you got it. That's terrible. I'm going to close with this. John 3, 16 to 18. We know John 3, 16. But how many know we have to know John 3, 16 all the way to 18? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, that means anybody, believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Then he goes on and he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Hallelujah. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's the worst line in the whole Bible right there. That's the hardest one. That somebody would reject his one and only Son, the only hope that we have under heaven. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, Lord. We're so thankful for your word. So thankful for your gift. Jesus, we're so thankful that you died and you set eternity before us, Lord. Life forever with you. Bless your people. Let them live, Lord God, in the light of these truths, Lord. And we pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. We love you. Everybody said, amen.